0: Welcome to the Friendly Meepools Lounge, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores.
1: And I'm your host, Chris Ingall.
0: We don't have a special guest today, which is awesome because it just means Chris and I can banter back and forth. We do hope that you enjoyed hearing Rod's point of view last time. He definitely has some very different point of view to uh, Chris and I, but today you've just got Chris and I and... And we have so many things to say.
1: <laughs> we always have a lot to say. Um, probably because we spent all week or all fortnight or whatever it is thinking about board games. And then just going, oh, we've got a podcast and it just all comes out. And Absolutely. people have to listen to it. Why are you still here? What are you doing? <laughs> you <love> it, really. <laughs> What have you been playing this week, Jan?
0: Do you know what? I haven't actually played anything this week. For the first time in ages, I've been studying. So I'm in the middle of an eight-week-long course called Immersion. Um but the one board game thing I have been doing, so the, the course I'm doing is about fabric design, and I know you've heard me talk about this, but I've actually started designing a collection of fabrics based on board games. Ooh. So board game adjacent, but I haven't actually been playing any board games. <laughs>
1: No, I was playing. I I remember that like there's a few weeks ago when we were bored in the west. I remember about you um uh, you you coming back and going why don't I know about this game because when um, Tamara Joe and I were playing uh, a game called Damask, yes, um, designed by Barbara Burford over back in Yorkshire in the UK, um or I believe in Yorkshire, um because it's um published by a local Yorkshire publisher, really small publisher, and Damask is about. Um, collecting fabric prints. It's a semi-abstract game, but it's about joining together sort of fabric prints um, based on all sort of Middle Eastern silks printing
0: designs. Ah, very um, cool.
1: collecting all of those. And then you've got this sort of loom thing in the middle of it where you're picking up blocks and trying to sort of square your blocks against the different bits of fabric. And it's kind of, it's, it's nothing like Azul or anything, but it's in a similar kind of headspace. Um, and we started running through this game and going, oh, this playing a short version of this game. This game, is only going to take 20 minutes. It doesn't. (laughs) Once it starts getting hard and you start thinking about it, it starts going, oh, and your brain starts crunching. But you will have to I want to play that. that.
0: That's actually something I've been learning heaps about is the history of fabrics. So, and um, I definitely, I have an idea for doing a whole bunch of Damask fabrics, but you know how Damask fabrics, if you're not familiar, are the ones that you see on all the old furniture and the wallpapers that look very, you know, they've got a very set design, but they're very flourishy. I want to do a line of Damask fabrics based on all the little bits in the middle are board game related. So it's going to be like this really nerdy, geeky sort of it looks fancy, but actually <laughs> it's really nerdy. So I think that'll be really, really, really fun.
1: You could um, even make a almost like a fan expansion for the Damask game
0: Ooh. using themed board
1: game fabrics. And so oh, forth.
0: that'd be fun. That'd be really fun.
1: I might shout out to Mark Stockton Pitt of Radical Eight Games, in Yorkshire. If randomly you are listening to the podcast, and you might because I might just slack you a link to it, um, we may have an expansion designer for you. Uh, Hello, in, in, in the house. So let's, let's see if we can make that. Let's, 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 uh, let's see if we can make that happen. Um, that would be fine, right? Um, the, the Radical Eight Games have made some fantastic games, and uh, I am really looking forward to the expansion for Die of the Dead. Which I will have will have to talk about on on a future podcast because it's one of the noisiest games in existence, and it's been designed and or developed. It's probably a fairer thing to say because this was the influence of the publisher, um, uh, and and some physics training to be as noisy as possible uh, using cardboard, <laughs> cardboard coffins and dice. Um, oh god! So but it's it, it's 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 a phenomenal phenomenal game. But um, uh, Mark at Radical Eight Games, uh, he, he's, a, he's 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 uh, the done some fantastic stuff um up, up there in yorkshire but the one thing that i'm going to going to call him out for is that i, I bought um, when i got into time stories for a while i bought a whole bunch of old time Stories issues from mark um and I, I remember when he sheepishly said i said they were sorted in order but i don't think i remembered to do it and handed them over it's the longest i've ever spent oh, sorting no. out a second hand game back into order whilst going no spoilers don't look at the cards oh no <laughs> so 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 um but but yeah he's, he's 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 made up for that with some fantastic games coming out of uh, out of his small sort of publisher up in the up in the uk so um big shout out to them because they're awesome and if you see any games by radical eight games they they are, are often there's there's not a lot of them about but they're great um this week joe and i have been playing meadow
0: Oh, exactly. so
1: I'm I've still been I've still also been training myself to teach a he- Gemini, which we talked about sort of last week, but I, we've been playing Meadow and we've I've had that for a while and we started playing it and then put it back and then got, got it out again. And it's um uh, I don't know, have you played Meadow Jen?
0: No.
1: no. So so Meadow is in the kind of Everdell Nature Games ilk again. Um, and it's a card tableau builder sort of a combo point scorer and you have a um, effectively a board with a 4 by 4 grid of cards and they're all unique and they've all got like a different either it's like they've got um, sort of your ground terrain and you've got sort of like bugs and things you might see on leaves and you've got bigger animals and then you've got paths and roads that take you off to like sort of little houses that are off in the distance and the conceit is that you're having a wander around and as you collect more of these cards you're focusing in and observing more of the details of the natural world around you and every card has got a specific creature and this little appendix tells you what they all are and it's very very beautifully drawn. But you've got this 4 by 4 grid of cards and you um, basically each turn you've got these little stick things. It's a bit like sort of worker placement but you've got these little sticks that are like kind of tiles with a point on one end and a flat on the other end. And you stick the point in one side of the board and each stick's got a different number and that tells you how many cards along is the card that you can take.
0: Ah. So as you play around
1: with these cards you effectively get um, uh, you start blocking off the ability to take certain cards on there. start with first go, you can have anything. But then after a while, you're blocking your opponent off. Um, and there's this other board, which is like a campfire board, where you can stick the back end in instead, and you don't get to pick a card, but you get a special power. And, the, um, and that might involve getting cards. So you're then arranging these cards in a tableau, and you've got your meadow tableau, and you're above the meadow or beyond the meadow tableau, and effectively building up points combos by stacking cards up, and you have to have certain... Um, things in your tableau in order to be able to play other cards on top of it and it's very pretty
0: it's very beautiful it's very meditative (laughs) we're gonna have to have that one on another podcast for sure because it sounds really really cool And I love those kind of games. Like, I mean, we've already said so many times, I love Everdell. It's such a good game. I'm so naughty. I still haven't played all of my expansions of Everdell. So that is my aim for BunnyCon. I'm going to bring Everdell along to BunnyCon and I'm going to grab a couple of tables and shove them together and put the whole thing out and see if I can lure someone into playing Everdell with me with all of the expansions.
1: And and Pop Quiz Secret here, I suspect before that happens, she'll go for the third table. It probably, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's no. I think might 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 almost be, be be doable. I know uh, I know Joe's really keen um, to play um, to play Everdell, um, Oh, awesome! On so forth. I think probably without all of the expansions. More okay, she, she's not had enough Everdell recently. Um,
2: but, uh, but you know,
1: you might might persuade her with one of them, uh, one or two. And um, so, I mean, that's that's been the main game uh, that I've been playing this week. I've been um, I'm desperately waiting because uh, back up in Australia. Here, um uh, there's you know our kickstarters sort of flow in and out and flow in and out and at the moment um i think there's a bunch of kickstarters that have arrived mm-hmm. in the country recently and i'm waiting for my big box copy of the pursuit of happiness which has been one of those kickstarters been hit very heavily by the pandemic yeah. by sort of financial troubles for the developers so it got stuck for years and years and years and it's been in the country for about three weeks but i think our main distributor etherworks have been hit with every single campaign landing at once on top of all of the sort of commercial things oh, they have distribution. No. so everything's sat there and it's like going it's still here we've not sent it out yet and then there's another week and it's still here we've not sent it out yet so the other thing that i found myself doing is sort of itching I really want to play that game as well, because I've never played the Pursuit of Happiness. There's so many wonderful things about it. Um, so that's what I've been playing this week. Uh, but, the, but Meadow, yeah, Meadow is fantastic. I've heard it's also a really good two-player game. One of the things I've heard about it is that it is probably a best 2 player game. And there's not a lot of those. And they're great when it's just, you know, it's just, just a, a couple of us at home. The four-player game apparently goes on far, far, far too long. So if you're, if you're looking at playing Meadow and looking to play at four players, there is a bunch of variant rules out there to shorten it. Oh, ah, um, awesome. Make it work better because it's a, so, and they're apparently sort of really worth looking at. The reason it goes on too long at four players is that they, they wanted to make sure everyone could be first player an even number of times. So a six round game for two players becomes an eight round game for four players. Oh no. Um, having played like the two player game, that is definitely, definitely going to be too long. Uh, it just, just sort of outstays its welcome. Um, so if if you're looking to play it, don't let that put you off. But take a look for some of the uh, variant rules that you can find out there on the internet to uh, to trim that down and get it just right.
0: I was actually just looking uh, at my Kickstarter on my phone to see if there were any games that I back that hadn't arrived yet because I do this all the time with Kickstarter. Is I'll kickstart something and I'll be like. <laughs> What is this box that's arrived at my door? <laughs> all of a sudden, there's something that I ordered three years ago and it, it shows up on my doorstep. So but I just I think Magical Unicorn Quest I have already received, which is the last game that I backed on Kickstarter. Um, but I I did something very cruel to myself the other day, Chris. It was really bad. I went on Kickstarter and I looked at all the games on there, knowing, knowing that I couldn't Back any of them because i've promised rod that until we have a house i will not kickstart another game and there are so many good games on kickstarter right now that i want all of it's so cruel
1: you you know what the last time i did that i'm I'm not very good at that Um, i have reduced the amount of games that i kickstart Um, and try to get it more focused because a lot of times you can get the game in retail anyway Um, but the the amount of times I say I'm not going to back it I'm not going to back it I'm not going to back it and I don't back it I give myself a big pat on the back and I tell myself just how disciplined I am and then a late pledge button appears
0: right and I just late (laughs)
1: pledge it and that's like even worse, because then I add it to my Kickstarter list because I do track boxes because we've moved house so often and then we moved countries. One of the things with moving countries is the logistics of managing Kickstarters that have gone past yeah. the point where you can change your address and suddenly you're like, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. like, How do I tell people that have moved? And that's, that's not easier now because everything's still running so slowly. Um, so I keep an eye on them all, but I'm, I then dip in and I late pledge something. Or the Kickstarter comes into the shops and retail, and I quickly slip in and go yeah. on, go on then, and get it from retail. And I don't, it doesn't end up costing a lot more money uh, doing that. But the, I'm beginning to believe that my self control isn't uh, isn't quite where I would like it to be. But it is getting better, and I've certainly stopped kickstarting the, mostly kickstarting the absolutely massive. Games. There's a couple of big, big, big ones with big boxes that I've got. I've, I, I kick-started the full set of Sea of Legends uh, because it's a pirate game. And I had to have to think a bit of a thing about pirate games. They're my weakness. And, and there's a really big box game called, or um, with lots of like flashy bits called Quad Heroes. That was quite expensive. That a weird. Um, block moving. You, you've got lots of little painted cute cube figures that go around something that feels like a Nintendo video game uh, rolling around and bashing each other semi-programmatic so it, it basically it's it it's com- looks completely bonkers and it's, it's just not like anything else out there so I kick that and that that's gonna have like a, a really big box that I'll somehow have to find space for but most of the things that I've backed now are a, a smaller more normal sized games um, and australian games that's my other thing where I, i'll make a point often of backing anything by an australian designer unless i, I really don't want it
0: and um, are you a part of now maybe i shouldn't tell you about this but are you a part of the group kickstarter board game group in melbourne uh <laughs> oh. oh.
1: Is that a, a Facebook group? It's not a Facebook is that a Facebook
0: group? It is a Facebook group that I'm a part of, and I'm reluctant to send you an invite because I don't want Joe to kick my ass. <laughs> but um, there is actually a Kickstarter, a, a, an Australian board game, or a specifically Melbourne board game community. <laughs> And I was trying to find it on my groups. I've got way too many groups that I'm a part of. Um, but it's basically a group of people in Melbourne who look at group kickstarts together for board games. And
1: Ooh, they do group, group pledges show They right? do
0: group pledges. It's exactly Ooh. that so that you can make Ooh. sure that uh, you're getting all the board games that you want, but saving on shipping. And I'll find the group and I'll send it to you. But one of my friends who was actually at Mefulcon, Tim, he um he said to me, Hey, you haven't pledged lately, what's going on? Like there's been so many good games. I'm like, look, Tim, I'm not gonna lie, I love you and I love that you feed my addiction. But I can't buy a house and have board games at the same time. <laughs> it's it's just my thing that we've just – I've been ignoring you guys and I love you and it's not that I don't want to be a part of the group. And I do every now and then go on there and just have a little look at what everybody's backing. But I – oh, Yeah. I'm terrible because I'll be like, I'll just back this one and I'll just back this one and it'll just be this one. And then before you know it, I've backed like three different board games, (laughs) which... Yeah, I'm terrible. Like, it's they, – they're just too good. There's too many options. So – but, yes, I will i will find that group for you because if, if you can manage your addiction, it's actually quite a great group. And the guy that – or one of the guys that does a lot of the kickstarts on there, Tim, um, he lives very, very close to you. So – I think you'd probably really enjoy that group, Chris.
1: All right. It's worth it. I, I think for me, the, because I've, I've got more disciplined in terms of pick not backing games that I am that I don't know or I've not got really, really, really strong confidence will actually be, be worth backing. Because that's the other thing I've heard for a while when you back stuff on Kickstarter, you inevitably back some games that just aren't that good. Like, you know, it's, 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 Probably, and sometimes you, you'll, you'll do that, you know, because you want to support, say, a small developer or something, and it's fine. Uh, sometimes you end up buying a, a, you know, really top-notch game, and you go, "Well, what's the point? I don't like it. I wish I come out and waited for the reviews." So it's, it's, it's. There's a bit of care that he's taking. I'll back stuff that is from overseas or from the UK back home being, being a problem that I know might not make it to the shops here because sometimes you do get a couple of games or game brands that are smaller that don't always make it over to Australia um, apart from within a Kickstarter. Uh, but no, I I'm, I think that's fine, Jen, because I see the, uh, the best way of avoiding Uh, It is to not know the games on kickstarter in the first place and and that i it doesn't matter there are so many different things that i'm already on that i'll always find out even if i try and hide from kickstarter and even not look at it i'll always find out so uh so i have to manage my uh self-control purely by just saying i'm not going to back it um it's worth it's worth noting i think um sort of wider with talking about sort of the struggles that we have with uh, with sort of the Kickstarter addiction and that kind of FOMO thing, fear missing out thing. And obviously it's, it's something we all sort of joke about um, if we, we get obsessed with board games and do it. Um, there are, I know a number of people within the hobby who have found that because of usually other things that are happening in their life, um, that that can kick into a, a, a sort of a gear where it's not just funny and oh crap I've just spent money that I should have spent on something else but it's not such a significant thing into something that actually becomes a a bit of a problem Um and um so I think it's it's important to sort of extend a sort of handout that there are if it's breaking into that sort of area for, for anyone it's absolutely fine within the, that within the hobby and it's and to sort of go and sort of look for support because it happens Um and uh, I think we're beginning to see a move away from Kickstarters, and I say this with my fingers crossed, very strongly, that throw absolutely everything in the kitchen sink into one Kickstarter with tons of boxes, because the companies that do that have been burnt so heavily. I know we've talked about this, and I think a couple of podcasts ago, but they've been burned so heavily absolutely. by the shipping crisis that it means that if they get stung, something goes up, something costs more expensive, then actually they end up in almost going out of business. So Mythic Games are a good example of this. Uh, Mythic Games are the kings of the 20 box submission where basically a crate arrives at your house that's bigger than you are, full of boxes you'll never play and more miniatures than you could possibly paint in five years. Um, and doing that and getting them out there, and they were very successful with it. Um, they have stayed in business just I think is probably a fair to say, you know, because the, uh, the the increase in cost of shipping, even when compared to the money they took in for the shipping in the first place and the huge cost of the games, um, once that was stacked up, it just just didn't work. But So I think we're getting to the point where we get smaller games coming out there. That's a good thing. Um, and I mean, in all seriousness, um, uh, you know, for, for designers and developers, if we want to keep our hobbies sustainable, um, it's far better to keep things keep things affordable and and if you if you find that it's it's just too much uh then reach out and and look look for some support because sometimes it, you know it's a, an addiction can turn into something that you can sort of joke about because it's a semi-addiction to something that that is is quite is quite serious and undermining so you know if um if, if you're going through that or if you know someone's going through that then sort of keep the faith and and you know it's the community is there to support you as well
0: absolutely yeah look absolutely there's definitely um definitely support out there so if you are finding that you need a little help we're always here to help that's for sure so now for a word from our sponsors come one come all for a fun day of exploration and shopping do you love meeting local designers How about fun and innovative board game gadgets? Have you always wanted to chat with a publisher about your ideas? I know you love a good game market, so why not come along to the inaugural Melbourne Board Game Market, hosted by the Melbourne Meeple's Crew at the Collingwood Town Hall on the 27th of May. Entry is by Gold Coin Donation, Check out the Melbourne Meeple's Facebook group for expression of interest if you're a publisher, a designer, or just have something fun you'd like to exhibit. Of course, we're going to have forms that are available if you would like to sell a bunch of your board games as well. We would love to hear from you, so please come along to the Melbourne Board Game Market, 27th of May at the Collingwood Town Hall. Entries by a gold coin donation, doors open at 10 a.m. and close at 4. We can't wait to see you there. That's the 27th of May at the Collingwood Town Hall, the Melbourne Board Game Market. All right, Chris, it's time to talk about the game. (laughs)
1: Okay, so the game for this week is set somewhere on the west coast of the North American continent. In an area of the world that is strangely temperate for its location, but gets rather colder as you flow north. It goes into some beautiful mountain ranges, wonderful fresh air, the hint of the Pacific... I'm losing thread of this completely. It's Cascadia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about the amazing Cascadia. And look, this is definitely. talking about games with uh, about wildlife and pretty forests and all those kind of things this is another one of those pretty games and all the pieces are very small but they are still all very very pretty um this is probably one of my favorite games so cascadia which is made by flat out games designed by randy flynn you may have heard of some of flat out games other titles such as calico and Verdant goes for about $50 to $60 in stores, Cascadia. You may find it a little cheaper on a buy, swap, and sell. Definitely, if you do find it, I highly recommend grabbing it. It's a really good game that I actually think sticks to its runtime as well pretty well, so runtime is 30 to 60 minutes, Difficulty level, having played it for the first time recently, Chris, would what would you say the difficulty level is on this one?
1: So Cascadia is like, this is where it's similar to other games from flat out games. And certainly if you have a look at the, uh, the, the sort of the publisher above that is AEG. So then um, you'll expect it to be quite a strategic and tight game. And I think just like the other two games that have just been mentioned, um, Cascadia sits in that sort of game that is actually quite easy to learn, but maybe quite tough to master. Mm-hmm. And you could get better and better and better and better at it as you go. Um, it's not. No, I thought it was a really quite straightforward game to learn. Um, the rules are very, very simple. Where it can potentially be a bit more complicated is is in that sort of spatial Connections, so it's in Cascadia. You've got a lot of opportunities to score based on how you arrange your tiles, and there's lots of bonuses that are around how those arrangements sit. Some of them are really intuitive. You look at it and go, "I know what that is. I can put that together." Some of it takes a little bit more head scratching to work out, and and even to add up at the end of it. Um, I'm looking at you, birds. Uh, (laughs) um, you made that work for
0: you sir you absolutely
1: killed it with the
2: birds
1: (laughs) (laughs) it it, it was I I did kill it with the birds and after a while I thought I think I'm killing it with the birds it still took me forever to try and work out I think the whole the, the one point where the table just stopped into analysis for analysis was actually trying to work out the points yes. on the birds, but yeah, there are so, so some of those I think are a bit trickier because I'm I'm quite I'm visual in that way. I mean, when people always talk about people who are more visual or less visual. I'm I'm I'm, I'm just to split that up. I find it easier and quite fun making those kind of geometric sort of connections and those sort of shapes and patterns. Absolutely. Um, And so that fits well in my head. I think for some that might be a little bit of a a struggle. Jen, do you want to tell us a bit about how Cascadia plays?
0: Absolutely. So Cascadia is... a really fantastic game that is built on tiles and you have to arrange your tiles in a way to create a really nicely balanced ecosystem. So kind of like how Ark Nova is getting you to build a zoo, Cascadia is wanting you to build yourself a little national park. So you want your animals all to be in the right spot so that they're thriving and flourishing. And the five animals that the game is based on are bears elk, hawks, foxes, and I believe it's trout. Let me double... Salmon. It's salmon, not trout. So you have to arrange your tiles to get you the most points possible. Now, I'd love to say this is what you need to do with this animal and this is what you need to do with that animal. But one of the things that I think makes this game endlessly playable is that every single game you have different ty- like different rules that come up so each of the animals has i think it's five different options for what can come up during the game as to it is five so five different options that can come up in the game as to what your objective is for that game based on that animal So, for example, when we were playing the game the other day, the elk needed to be in clusters and depending on the pattern that you had those clusters in depended on how many points you got for the elk. So, if you just had one elk on its own, it was worth two points. If you had two elk right next to each other, they were worth five points If you had three elk in a triangle shape, it was worth nine. And then four elk in sort of a T-shape was worth 13. Now, I know that's going to sound funny just hearing it, but when you visually see the rules for this game, you'll understand exactly what I mean. The layout of all of your different animals is what makes a difference into your scoring, and where Chris was talking about – the birds and having to score or, you know, having to line up all the birds properly. That is one of the things that I actually love so much about this game is having to line everything up and trying to find a place for everything so that, you know, all the, all the animals are basically working in harmony. Another aspect of the game that I think is really, really fun is that it's not just about the animals and arranging the animals. It's about how you arrange the areas as well. So the types of land that you're putting these animals on are mountains, Where are we? So we've got our mountains, we've got our water, we've got grassland, we've got forest. Yeah, so mountains, forest, prairies, wetlands, and rivers. And each of the tiles that comes out will let you know what type of animal can go on that tile. Some of them only have one animal quite a few of them have multiple animals that can go on that area, which is really, really awesome. So similar, if you've played Calico, what's going to happen is there's going to be a few tiles out in front of you. And then each of those tiles has a wildlife token that goes with it. So... You also have options during the game that you're going to be able to collect what are called nature tokens. So the way you're collecting your nature tokens is making sure you get the right animal on the right landscape. And for some of them, that's going to give you a nature token and your nature tokens allow you to do some extra little things. So normally when you are going to grab your tiles to place in your ecosystem along with the animal you have to grab the tile and grab the animal that goes with that tile but if you've got some nature tokens you can grab an animal from one area and a tile from another area so that you get exactly the combination that you want. So basically to summarise that, it's about balancing your habitats and your animals to score the most amount of points possible. (laughs) Sounds pretty simple when I say it that way, right?
1: One of the things with those birds, wasn't it, and in fact it's not just with the birds, it's with the fish and it's with the others, is that sometimes these combos, they'll come as a trade-off to each other. Um, Sometimes you need to trade off which one you're going to go to and which one you're going to give up because when you're picking your tiles and your animal counters, Jen, I was one the things you have to pick up a pair of both. And sometimes you're looking at it and it's the perfect pair. There's the tile that you want and there's the animal you want. And then another player takes it. So you grab one of the other ones and you have to then make a compromise. Sometimes you go, well, what am I going to prioritise? Because you can take the animal you want. That's usually more important because if you get the right animal. You can then shove the other tile somewhere else. But you shove the other tile somewhere else, that might be wasting an opportunity. And a lot of the times, they'll play off each other. So the birds need a little bit of distance between them, so you need to create space between them. Um, Some of the animals, and and there was an example, I can't remember which animal it was, want to be surrounded. I think it was the foxes. The foxes, yeah. Like a pair of foxes that were surrounded by two of everything else, not necessarily in adjacent pairs, but two of everything else. So you're trying to square all these different arrangements up against each other. Um, and that actually sounds really complicated, probably when I say it, but it's not that complicated because you're you are doing it a piece at a time. So you can kind of evolve your thinking about it and you can flex it. You're not trying to arrange them all at once, which would probably be a bit hard doing. Um, and the the other thing about it, I thought it was quite meditative and relaxing again. game. And this is where I think we will end up talking about Calico a little bit which is a um, because it's not a meditative, relaxing game. Because so cute, it's, Chris. You know, it's fun. It's, it's, it's yeah. It's 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 a beautifully well. It's it's a beautifully cute game though you kind of think there's a little bit of a bit of evil to those cats. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think they're, they're generally quite wicked cats. But the um, but Cascadia has a. Has a kind of meditative feel that feels right to the landscape in which it's set you know if you imagine sort of like walking through streams and it's like bears in the forest obviously at a safe distance because like bears too close up can be a little bit alarming Um, you've got kind of the elk Um, or large deer. I, I'm going to I'll elaborate on that a little bit. You've got, you've, you've got your large Canadian deer sort of wandering through uh, through the landscape. There are salmon in the rivers darting around. Hopefully they might catch one for your dinner if you're that way inclined. Um, you know, you can imagine that kind of feeling of just relaxing. And if you popped out a picnic blanket or a, a little sort of picnic table in front of you while watching all this, Cascadia would be a great game to play.
0: I agree. I think it... <laughs> I have actually during lockdown when we were only allowed to go five kilometers, but you could leave the house (laughs) for exercise. I think we were or we were allowed to, at that point, leave the house for up to an hour at a time or something like that. We actually took Cascadia to our local park with our housemate and we sat down watching the sunset, nibbling on a charcuterie board dinner while we played Cascadia. And it was probably one of the most fun times that I've ever had, is just chilling out in the park playing Cascadia. And it wasn't windy, which is awesome. But do you know what? This is one of those games that even if there is a little bit of a breeze going on, you're not going to lose all your cards because it's quite hefty. It's nicely built in that everything is very, very good quality. So now I did kickstart this game. I don't know if the version in stores is any different, but... I don't actually think it is. And just everything about it is so pretty. It's so nicely put together. One thing I actually really love as well is there is a family variant. So I'm not sure if you even saw this, Chris, but there's actually a family variant of this game if parents want to play it with their kids, which really simplifies the rules down to just creating groups of animals. So definitely I was going to say I feel like this is an intermediate level game, but actually I think this is a really good beginner level introductory game to a strategy game?
1: Yeah, I think I think it is because it's it you can grow your sort of knowledge of it. You can grow your, your skill at it over time. Um, and, you know, really, really sort of like experienced sort of game players and so will still have a lot of fun with it. You know, it's not something the way you just solve it. Um, in fact, it can be quite tricky. And so, but at the same point, it's not hard to get into. I think it's like games like Azul like that. I suspect that if you were Cascadia might be a frustrating game for somebody who'd play who basically never played board games before and they played with a bunch of complete hawks yes. who were sitting <laughs> there maximising everything. Um, and uh, I think it, 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 certainly if those great hawks decide to spend ages taking their turns, don't do that if you're, you're going to be... But but, um, but I think that is... That can always be a challenge with a lot of games which have a long sort of lifespan because you can get better and better and better at a game like Cascadia. But it is not a hard game to learn, and it's no. really, really pretty. It is. Um, there's, all, mm, there's so many of these games, and I, I, I have that kind of not just a the nature thing, but actually almost that sort of national park and sort of hiking and natural exploring thing. That's been a big thing recently, and there's there's been a few games around actual sort of national parks, haven't there? There was the parks game itself that was mm. based on a a set of like art prints that was commissioned and I, I don't know the history between a set of art prints but there's a set of art prints at some point that were formally commissioned to around the national parks in the United States. Except the one thing that annoyed me with that is that Parks released it and then they released an expansion that doesn't fit in the base game box with the rest of them. And it's like, well, making an expansion to a great game is fine but you'd done something based upon the national parks and you missed out. I do it was 15, 16, 20 of them and then put them in an expansion. But you could have put those in the initial box in the first place and actually made the game complete because you knew you were missing them out for an expansion. But also then you know that people are going to then want to buy the expansion to make the set complete if they like the art series, and you can't fit it in the box anyway. <laughs> you can't like, so it's so you you kind of, um, which way around they do that. But Parks is a very meditative game. You've got like a little hiking figure. That meadow I was talking about earlier, that is considers itself a hiking game because you've got a little hiker who's the person wandering around there, you're kind of wandering around English Meadows. That's not really hiking when you compare it to <laughs> not like really. wandering around Canada <laughs> or, or some of the tougher kind of like trails that we've got over here in, in Victoria. Um, there's which i remember looking at on Kickstarter. So, um, oh, I discovered, I should say this right. I, um, I tried to do the trail walkers challenge last year and, and failed because I've got a slight nerve issue in, in, my, in my, um, uh, down sort of in my back, which I've, I've had physio for and I'm, I'm going to train up and try and do it again. Uh, not this year, but possibly next year. Um, the um, But in doing some training for that, uh, a friend of mine took me up into the Cathedral Ranges um, and didn't realise how much less fit I was than him. And he said, oh, this would be a good training for this. That after you've done this, that anything that you go and do on the trail walk will be easy. And he was right. Of a sort, because uh, I almost needed. At one point, I think I was going to need a helicoptering off this place because it was effectively almost up a vertical track. Like some of this was clambering up vertical. Oh my places, God. Along this giant ridge that was all clambering for like, you know, kind of seven or eight K. Uh, and I absolutely knackered myself. It's the toughest walk I've ever done. But there was a, a bit that felt a bit like those birds in Cascadia on this walk. So I was, we, we were going up to the second peak uh, before coming down in the dark on, on poles and I'd done my knee in a bit and I was just, I'd sprawled out a little bit. So I was like, right, I know I've got to carry on up the rest of this hill, but I'm knackered. And so I sprawled out and I must've looked like I was literally on the point of just like collapsing because this <laughs> massive eagle came along and landed on this little tree afterwards. And I thought, ooh, there's a nice big bird. And I thought, that big bird's looking at me. And then I thought, that big bird's looking at me like I might be dinner. <laughs> And that kind of thing about the birds spread out, I can see that because, you know, kind of if you get the birds spread out, you know, they might say, there's enough enough in that guy for two or three of us. And if they're spread out appropriately, they can have that conversation. And so, yeah, <laughs> right. national parks aren't just aren't kind of like sweet and sweetness and pie um as i thought they were i
0: was gonna say i was probably a little cruel to you actually because the when it says you're first playing the game um there is actually a set of cards for the first playthrough which have a star on them because they're the easier ones that go together really well so we probably should have for the first playthrough for you given you the star cards. Um, but look, that being said, I really, I think you did very well cause you beat, you beat both Rod and I at Cascadia the very first time you played it. So if you're playing with somebody who is actually already quite knowledgeable about strategic games, throw them in the deep pen, just do it. They'll have fun. If you're playing with someone that you're introducing to a strategy game for the first time, there is a. Really good stuff built into the game already to make it nice and easy and lull people into a strategy game in a nice way. So definitely make sure you have a really good read through
1: of that. Have you ever heard of a game called Trailblazers?
0: I have heard of it. I haven't played it.
1: So this was on Kickstarter and I think it's actually due to deliver at some point soon. I didn't back it and I was wondering whether or not I might try and find it again just for this, you know, we talk about not... Falling for gimmicks. This is like a very relevant gimmick here. So Trailblazers, as one of its Kickstarter gimmicks, has a special mini edition. So the normal edition, it just looks like any other board game in a box, probably is about the size of Cascadia. Um, it's probably not dissimilar because you're laying out tiles and you're putting animals on tiles and making patterns and stuff. So you think, okay, right, or right. it's going to have to do well to do better than Cascadia at that. But it's got a little edition that comes in a carabinered uh, mini version. Uh, so it's got a carabiner on it, putting on your rucksack in a little waterproof plastic zip-up thing with waterproof cards, <laughs> waterproof pieces, specifically designed for you to take out and play on your hike.
0: Oh that's quite funny. <laughs>
1: so which is quite funny. And I remember looking at this and I managed to I managed to put myself off it but I it's now talking about it obviously I found myself going, ooh, I have a look at that again. It doesn't look like a game that's again that hiking friendly because you need a flat surface that you can lay lots of tiles out on and so forth. So, they, you know, that's the, that's always the challenge. But uh, but yeah, that would be interesting to see how that works uh, and, and see if they, maybe they'll have a, a few copies of it sort of down the hiking store as well as down the sort of gaming store, because that would be quite quite cool. So what do we think about, because um, Cascadia comes from, as you said, it comes from designer Randy Finn, from publisher or developer FlatOut Games, who in turn are being printed as part of the larger publisher AEG games. And AEG is always a clue, if you see that on a label and you're looking thinking is this going to be a strategically tight game or something else (laughs) you see AEG on a label it usually is Right, that's Absolutely. I mean, you know, kind of, so there is a hell of a lot of, um, of of meat, if you like, in in, in Cascadia. Um, there is a lot of meat in those alks, but that's another matter. Um, <laughs> but, the, um, but the but Cascadia comes from Flatout Games, on that who previously developed Calico, which is where we kept slipping around. And Calico is an ooh, so adorable game where you are doing a similar thing, laying out patterns of quilts and so forth that your cats will like. Yes. So that you can assign them to your cats and. It maybe should, should be just as meditative as, Cal- as Cascadia, but isn't, is it?
0: It's so competitive. I love – Calico is definitely one of my favourite games. And um, I like to say to people it looks really cute, it looks really pretty. It's absolutely one of the most competitive games out there. Like, it starts off – you know, you, you lull someone into playing it and everyone's having a lovely time putting their first sort of five to ten tiles down and then everyone's going for the same things. So it starts getting super competitive and people start taking your tiles from the middle of the game and it definitely, I love it. it it's one of those those hidden super competitive like
1: yeah, I love it. It's fun. <laughs> is it, is it, yeah, it's calico. I, I've, I, I, I preferred Cascadia because I sort of prefer the, the the sort of openness of it. But it certainly is that um, calico. You start off and it's like, oh, this is a nice, innocent little game doesn't take too long. So you use it between, you know, you're sitting there at a game's day or whatever it is. Someone's waiting on you and you know you're going to sit down and play like one long game or you just want something that you're going to play before you go home for the evening because you haven't got time for anything big. So someone goes, here's Calico. You roll out Calico, get, put the mats out, explain it and so forth. And you're all sitting there thinking, oh, what a lovely day. What lovely people. And then 10 minutes later, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to kill you. I wouldn't even leave just one tile my cats wanted from me.
0: <laughs> As a cat mom myself, I can attest to the fact that I am also obviously you've probably been able to tell from my talking about fabric design. I'm a crafty person. I make quilts. Um my cats love my quilts. So I think in terms of accuracy, it's definitely a game that's got a lot of accuracy. Cats do love quilts, but it's also a very, it's a very backstabby game. <laughs> like, it It's very deceptive in its cuteness. And yeah, definitely. If you like something that has a little bit of that competitive nature and you can play with friends who will forgive you for stealing their tile, definitely give that one a go. We'd, we'll talk about Cal- Calico in another episode, for sure.
1: We might talk about Calico in a little bit because we should almost move on to our uh, other theme for the podcast in our too much time to think section. And what have we got too much time to think about today, Jen?
0: We have too much time to think about our cute games, mean
1: games. Yeah. I'm so getting yes. yeah. Yeah. it. Yeah. This, this came out of Calico. <laughs> so I was thinking, right, Is so Calico is a game that is really, really mean, and yet on the outside of it is really, really, really cute. Right. And we so started thinking about kind of other games where you find yourself going, oh, you sod, wow, day, take that piece of mine. Um, I see that you start thinking, oof some of them are really sweet and fluffy looking mm-hmm. and 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 there is a there's a game that um that I've, I've it's been a long time since i played it and it's really hard to get in australia at the moment which is really annoying i did contact the publisher and i said you can order it from the states but it costs a lot because it's based on one of our australian uh national animals if you like uh, and, and that's called a kid shuffle so a kid shuffle oh is, i've can, heard of that but i haven't played it. it the it is the cutest game in the world. right? so so I I'm I'm and I'm, I'm gonna come out and just say that flat out. I think that Echidna Shuffle is the cutest game in the world. Um so Echidna Shuffle component wise um it has this board um kind of that's just lots and lots and lots of sort of like sort of brightly coloured spaces in the woods and there's these little sort of plastic little uh, tree trunk things on it and so on. And um but echidna shuffle has these beautiful plastic echidnas and these beautiful fussy echidnas also have these little things on top of them where you can load your echidnas up with little butterflies Oh no! Um, <laughs> and, and stuff and, and and the echidnas have got these little eyes on them that look absolutely adorable and their snaps got this little smile I mean they are the most beautiful game component the cutest game component in existence right they look like you can just imagine if you put the shuffle up you're like in like you know it was like in a, a kid's toy store and the kids were out there going and you can just imagine Someone going, mummy, mummy, I want the game with the echidnas. I want the game with the echidnas. Look at them. They're so adorable. And going, oh, God, that looks like a lovely game. Let's get that for our family. It is the most evil, evil, backstabby game known to man. (laughs) It will have people literally wanting to kill each other and not speaking to each other ever again.
0: (laughs) It does look really cute. I just had a look online at the images for the game and it looks really cute, but... (laughs) We're going to have to play this one sometime, Chris, because I, I'm i intrigued now. If you've got a copy of A Kid in a Shovel, we want to hear from you. So let us know. messages if you've got a copy. We want to play games with you. But speaking of other cutesy games that are really evil, Exploding Kittens, Super Evil, um, Munchkin. It looks really cute. The artwork in all the munchkin games is absolutely adorable. It's evil. Uh, what's that other one? Uh, Magical unicorns? Is that what it's called?
1: Oh, that's something. That's that's one of the exploding kittens sort of range games. Is that yes, all you're thinking
0: of? I think that yeah though, that kind of group of games by that gu- that company. All of them look really adorable. They're beautifully drawn. The artwork is amazing. They're all evil.
1: Yeah, and is there some is there something that when you're making a more evil game because you look at um, Munchkin might be a good example of this. Yeah. I hate Munchkin. But the um, uh, in fact it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cliche to hate Munchkin, almost like it's a cliche to hate Monopoly. So I should I should beer in a little bit to it, but I, I don't like Munchkin. But the because um, it goes on. That's one of the things is if you're basically getting hammered at Munchkin, you're sometimes given a reprieve just so it can go on. You can get hammered again even some more. <laughs> um, but the there is that cute cheeky look about it. And if you then go back to kind of like less backstabby, maybe more sort of like, you know, the sort of long sprawling kind of like dungeon crawl games and sort of like that you might've had even before then, because Munchkin's an old game now, so we're talking about the older games. Or you like your hero quests and so forth. And hero quests look quite serious, but when they went and made a game that was incredibly backstabby, they also made the characters almost a little bit cuter, didn't they, at the same yeah. time? So, do you think there's the thing that if you want to design a mean game,
0: you have to make it's it look cute? Not the other yeah, yeah you I have think to. so. And the mean
1: of the game, the cuter got to look.
0: Absolutely, because why would you play a really mean game that looks super evil as well?
1: I don't know. Well, you see, that in some ways it might be logical, mightn't So, what happens is just said, right, okay, we're, we're, we're the Mean Games Club, we want to get together and play. Some really brutal, mean games where we're really nasty to each other, and they're mean-looking, and they're. Uh, mean. So I, I guess playing devil's advocate, kind of is that. Does no is, does that club not exist?
0: I don't think so, because even my favourite game to hate, Twilight Imperium, it looks beautiful. It's a really beautifully designed game, but it's evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it really is. Like there's, I'm trying to think heaps of. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think in general, games are always made to look visually appealing. But if you look at a game like Gloomhaven or Frostpunk, both of those games are beautiful. But I know Rod has done a solo game of Frostpunk and he said this game is evil. Like it's absolutely trying to kill you. So, yes, yeah, so I think there is something in that, in that you have to make your game look much, much prettier if your intent is evil.
1: But then that's pretty, isn't it? Because Frostpunk isn't cute. Like, well, is it? No, so true. Nothing, is cute Frostpunk?
0: No, mm. it's pretty no no you're right yeah so it's that's made to be pretty but cute games no i agree if we're going strictly for cutesy looking games you can almost guarantee that those cutes actually no i know an exception to that rule cat lady have you ever played cat lady i've
1: seen it and that it didn't look evil
0: It's a very, very cute game, and I actually don't think it's all that evil because the way that it's played means that somebody's always getting a turn. Like, the very first time I played it, knowing nothing about it, I won the game. So... That's a pretty good indication of. I don't think that's necessarily an evil game, but it does look cute. But I think that was. Pro- it's probably the exception to the rule, because pretty much every other really cute-looking game I can think of is evil.
1: Maybe it's the butter wouldn't melt effect. That yeah. Kind of, there, there's 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 actual cute, like actual beautiful, and then there's that kind of. Yeah, they look cute, but they've got like an evil glint. Yes. And maybe the assumption with calico because the calico cats look nice enough but all cats have an evil blend, don't they really?
0: Uh yes. Absolutely. All of them. I mean, even Percy, our giant Maine Coon, he's beautiful and he's just the most loving, adorable cat that you would ever find. And then he craps outside the litter box. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and laughs in a kind of cat way.
0: Oh, he just does this. No, I'm perfectly innocent. Like, if you had scooped that one piece of litter, one piece of crap that's sitting in the litter box, I would have pooped in there. Like, he just, he definitely, all of my cats, I think, have survived because they're so damn cute. And I definitely think that translate. Maybe it's cat games. No, because, no, unicorn, um, Unicorn, is it Unicorn Fever? Magical Unicorns. All of the unicorn games are evil. All of them. And I have got Unicorn Fever. That is also an evil game. And that looks really, really cute. I'll bring that one to BunnyCon so you can have a look at it, Chris. You know what? Actually, while while we're talking about BunnyCon, this episode is being released while we're at BunnyCon. And... I don't believe that we're pretty much sold out of tickets already. So I hope everybody was able to get a ticket and come along and have a really good time with us at BunnyCon and that you got to play some really cute evil games while you were there.
1: <laughs> yeah, was, well, hopefully you had a wonderful time and hopefully we got got a chance to sort of say hi. At come we will have hoped to have been around uh, a, a few uh, sort of a game as a tennis and actually sort of get a bit more of what everyone else's favorite games are. Um I think in our next episode uh, we will hope to be able to bring together some of that stuff and actually give you an idea about what everyone else thinks is brilliant at the moment and get that feel for for what's been played at the at the convention cuz it's it's going to be a fantastic event It always is. Um Absolutely. I was going to say we we say we we are recording this before the event. Um and I don't think we are quite sold out at this point, but it's very, very close. So we There will were be sold three out by tickets left. Um,
0: Yesterday oh! there were three tickets left. So we're almost uh, almost sold out. So I really hope you are able to get a ticket and come and join us. And, yeah, look, stay tuned for the next episode when we talk to all of our friends at BunnyCon about their favourite games. So,
1: I'm going to give a quick shout out to one other game that has a. It's, it's less cutesy, but I think it's worth a bit of a shout out because it's developed by a local Melbourne game designer. And this isn't as mean as Cascadia, but it's got a bit of a mean streak to it. Um, there's a. Jen, have you heard about or a game called Survival of the Fattest?
0: Yes, we had that at MeepleCon, didn't we? Survival of the Fattest. We
1: we had some sort of promotional stuff for it because it was mm. just, it just finished its Kickstarter campaign. This was atrocious timing. So uh, from, from a local designer as well, finished his Kickstarter campaign just before people mm. come like, rallied lots of additional backers. But I think I think it's in late pledge space at the moment. Um, uh, so forth. And Survival of the Fattest is a, a game uh, where you've got animals in the woodland who are going to hibernate. And effectively what they're doing is trying to go around and competing. And we have got asymmetric powers, you've got a great big bear and you've got that cheeky sort of squirrel and so on. They're trying to go around the, the, the woods, um, collect the stuff that they need in order, effectively, they've got the best hibernation stash sort of between between seasons. And then they sort of go through through, through the years between seasons. Um, and um, it's got, it's, it's a really nice little game. And you look at it and you think, oh, here's a sort of cutesy game. And it's not evil evil but it's certainly a bit evil and that's there on purpose and you can see it in the art as well mm. each of these animals in survival of the fattest has got a little bit of a wicked glint about the character design the character design is lovely uh it's, it's 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 really good so um that that was a lot of fun and i played a prototype of it back just before pax in early october uh, with the designer because he's he's local and also runs um just to give a shout out dirty rascal games as well as Designing and developing games. They run a store and an online uh, game store here in Melbourne. Um, so, uh, so, so, shout out to them. Um, we were playing through with the designer at that point, and it's a really absorbing game. It's not a heavy game, it's absolutely something you can sort of dive into. It's got a lot of hidden strategy underneath there, but it's got that just the right level of evil.
0: And just the right level of cute.
1: It's just the right level, and yeah, and just it, the right level of cute. And it's it's but It's sort of sat in that little kind of, and and it is almost part of the joke. I think, isn't it? It's that kind of maybe it's that idea about the impish three-year-old. You know when you've got like kids or whatever it is, you're thrilled. You know, uh, absolutely adorable and yet really, really, really wicked at the same time. And that's not that there's something about that juxtaposition between beautiful and and just downright mean that um, that, that plays off well. So it's it's uh, but that's not it's nowhere near as mean as the lights of Cascadia, but it's got a bit of it, um, and it's definitely worth having a look at.
0: You keep <laughs> saying Cascadia, but I think you mean Calico.
1: I do mean cardboard. Kind of, I it, so.
0: <laughs> it's okay. They're very that they, because they're released by the same company. They do look. They've got a beautiful kind of similarity in their style. Um, but on that note, now from another word from our sponsors. Hey everyone! So for our shout out today, we are here with the gorgeous Kristen from Turn Order Games. Hi there, Kristen. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So we'll get to some info about turn order games shortly. But before we do, what's your favorite game?
2: Ooh, i it's a toss up right now. I have two favorite games. One is Azul Queen's Garden, uh, which is what I play when I have less than an hour to game. Uh, and the other one is Ark Nova, where you get to build a zoo. But that takes a little bit longer. So it sort of depends on how much time I have to game today.
0: And for something a little quirky, what's your favorite household item?
2: Um, Do cats count as a favorite household item? (laughs) I have to say that my cats are maybe my favorite household item uh, and they bring endless amounts of joy and hilarity. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a really good answer. I think my cats are probably my favorite household item as well. And tell us a little bit more about your store.
2: Yeah, so we are opening a game store in Noble Park North. Uh, we have um, some space for card games. We have space for people to play board games. And we've got even a whiteboard table for people to play D&D and, and draw their maps on. Um, we're interested in building some communities. So we'll be selling board games that we're interested in and um, things like Magic and Digimon and One Piece uh, and we will also have all kinds of D&D stuff for people who want to give that a go. Um, and we are we're opening very soon. So we're very excited. We're just stocking our shelves right now and getting ready to, to open our doors for all of you to join us.
0: Fantastic. And hey, Melbourne Meeple's members, stay tuned. We are going to have some lovely arrangements with Turn Order Games for you. And where can we find you?
2: That's an excellent question. You can find us at 15B, B as in baby, Eleanora Road. Uh, It's in Noble Park North and we're just off of the Prince's Highway, so quite convenient to get to.
0: Fantastic. And obviously we'll have all the social information, website links, when the website goes live in the description below. Thank you so much for your time today, Kristen, and we'll see you soon at Turn Order Games.
2: Thank you so much. Have a great one.
0: So, one thing we still want to cover off about Cascadia is how friendly is Cascadia to play if you are disabled or neurodiverse? I actually think it's pretty good. I think they've been very considerate in designing the game and again kind of going back to that similarity between Calico and Cascadia they are made by a company that I think is very conscious of making their games really friendly so it's definitely designed with colour blindness in mind because each of the colors is very well defined. Each of the the pieces that you're using, so the tiles are all very, very different. So you can very easily tell what is you know what's a river space and what's a mountain space, what's a prairie space. So it is it is very well designed as someone who's colorblind. Even the animals, you can very they're very different animals. So they that you can definitely tell well, this is an elk. So I think if they had both elk and moose it would make it more difficult. but yeah, it definitely definitely very good for somebody who's colorblind. Uh, I think the rules are very clean cut in terms of being quite simple. so I think it does make it very friendly for people who are neurodiverse as well, especially if you're somebody who enjoys patterns. It's great for that. It's very, very good for that. And you can't, because you've got that variation of every different animal has five different goals that you can pick for them, or you can even just do the more simplified version of the game. Yeah, I definitely think it's something, you know, pick it up and give it a go. It It's definitely a really good game for lateral thinking. And, yeah, it. It is really simple. Like every turn is just you get a turn to pick up a tile and an animal and place a tile and an animal.
1: It's logical and it makes sense and the rules are, are well constructed and perhaps the only thing I think we saw in it that was maybe a little bit challenging and we had to work out was on some of those more advanced scoring cards that you don't necessarily have to use and then, or you could use sort of once you've already played the game, sort of once or twice to sort of work out work out how those go. So I'd, I'd agree, John. I think... Um, Cascadia, in many ways, is, is it is just an accessible game.
0: Absolutely. And, and, it,
1: and it's got, it's that bit more mellow as well than Calico that I think also makes it an accessible game that people want to come back to. They won't get burnt by, or certainly burnt by a, a scenario where they couldn't do anything. You know, they might not get the maximum amount of points, but you can do something, you can build build something out. And it's very beautiful.
0: Yeah. And it's
1: for a game that's very simple, and as Jen says, the it's it's very colorblind friendly because although it has those big bright primary colors, it also has really good patterning for things like the mountains, the rivers, and textures. And the patterns are different, so even if you are like struggling with you know kind of the the detail on the patterns that makes it look like a mountain or a river, that doesn't matter in terms of being able to see the differences between the shapes. You can really really make that out quite well. Um, so it is real, but it's quite often those simple games are then a little uglier but this one isn't the colors yeah. the exact color palettes they've picked and everything are beautiful it looks gorgeous on the table
0: absolutely and look at somebody who's currently learning all about color palettes and how to pick really good colors they've definitely done a really really good job of making sure that everything is harmonious and Yeah, I love it. I really genuinely think it – I think it's got something actually that makes it stand out from Calico as being a more friendly game, and that's that even if somebody does take your tile, because most of the goals are cumulative, so you get more points for having more things – it means that if somebody, if you've got something you were just going for, let's say you wanted to have, you know, a line of fi- uh, a line of salmon and you were aiming for having, you know, seven salmon in a row, but someone takes the last salmon, you can always then default to one of the other things. So you can always default to having another bird or having another elk or something like that to still get you points. Whereas in calico, if there's, Towards the end of the game, that one tile that you really need and it comes up and somebody else takes it, you generally don't then have the opportunity to grab another tile that's going to work in that place, especially if you're going for – a very specific colour and pattern that you need, it is highly unlikely that that tile is going to come up again in the last two to three rounds of the game, whereas Cascadia, because you've got that variance and the option of five different goals that you can go for during the game, plus there's – we haven't even touched on this – there's extra scoring for the landscapes and how you put the landscapes together as well – because of that, I actually think it's a bit of a friendlier game because you have got more options for how you can score.
1: Yeah, it is. It's some some of those tougher ones can be the hard hard to work out the actual score at the end of it. So it's um, I think again if you're looking at some of those more challenging scenarios, and I'd even argue that it's it's not that hard to go through the game and try and get the most points. some of them so this is often the birds where they're a bit of distance apart you can do that you can kind of put something down you can say i can see that that connects to there there and there so um so i can see that i want to do that move it looks like it's gonna be good for points when it actually comes to adding it up at the end that's probably the only thing that i would say is perhaps a little bit less friendly in in with in cascade and in this case only with more complex goals is that when we were trying to add up the scores at the end, there were a couple of those areas where we had to basically try about three times in order to make sure that we caught it accurately because you're like going, right, so one of those, there's those, those. Oh no, hold on, we've missed that one. Oh no, no, I've forgotten. Where did I start? Have I done that one already? So some of those patterns can be a little bit complicated to work out. But again, that's only if you're playing some of those sort of um, more advanced cards. If you play the sort of basic cards, that's easier. Yeah, um, And you know, that's it, it's, uh, it, it's a small thing on what's a really good game. Right. There's, there's one thing that I have to take because I'm I am half Finnish. Um, and so one thing I have to point out is that there is the um, perennial thing for if anyone's coming from Scandinavia and having a look at this, that this game is is set in Canada. So in Canada, um, and I got confused and had to look this up myself a moment ago. In Canada, an elk is a type of large deer, whereas of course in Scandinavia, an elk is the same thing as some moose. So some of you may go and say, the idea of that many elk in a small space collected together sounds a little dangerous and sounds like they'd all just end up fighting um because they tend to rove off on their own and, and like bash into stuff and stand in the middle of the road <laughs> getting, what's that was that a car that just hit me oh whatever um as, as elk stroke moose elk do um but no, no this is this is so this is big deer elk so that was one thing that was confusing for me because i was looking at it and I, I i still struggle going hold on this elk don't look very elkish and that's because they're not moose uh Oh.
0: Do you know, as we're uh, talking about talking. this, I love moose. So, cow's my favorite animal. Little segue. <laughs> That also separates out to moose. Moose and cows are by far my favourite animal, which I know sounds funny and Chris is probably like, what? I would have thought it was cats or horses. But, no, I, I love moose to the point that the coffee cup that I'm drinking my coffee from this morning I bought when I was in Maine <laughs> because it has a moose on it. And so when I first saw the cards, I was like, those are funny-looking moose, and then I realised, no, actually they are elk. So that is a good separation to make in the elk <laughs> in the context of this game, are not moose. They are a large type of deer, Um, which makes me think it's – I'm actually fairly certain Cascadia is set – Oh, no, I've got it right here. Cascadia is actually set in the Pacific Northwest of America because in Canada they very distinct – well, actually, no, true. Both in Canada and the U.S., they very distinctly separate moose and elk as being elk are just a large type of deer and moose are moose and you, you don't wrap anything else in with moose.
1: Yeah, and we don't, Those that particular large type of deer wouldn't necessarily, I'm not even sure if that's a thing in Scandinavia, because in Scandinavia you'll often have a lot of reindeer, and then you'll have the elk, which are actually the moose. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see a board game really themed around moose. Or oh, Or you'd me probably too. have to call them moose, because the Americans will go, that's not an elk, that's a moose. But the um, but if you're going to have a board game themed around moose, it has to be something to do with basically traffic destruction. <laughs> Because what, what, what moose do, in particular in darker climes, because up in northern Scandinavia, in the uh, in particular in some months, you're going to have less light um, than you do in a lot of Canada, because that's, that's further south, <laughs> um, is that they, they're a bit like kind of the Scandinavian equivalent of kangaroos. Here, yes. You know what they do is they basically walk into the middle of the road and just sit there yeah and wait for you the difference being that if, if, if with the kangaroo you're both going to end up badly off um if a small car hits a moose the moose goes oh ouch what was that <laughs> And wanders off and and, and the car is there total. and the driver sat there and eat while the moose just sort of like wanders off somewhere. Oh. So I, I I can see I can see a game about moose, but I feel that a game about moose has to basically be around traffic destruction. Absolutely. Like how, how many cars can you run or how many roads can you block? Um with this with this with with your moose who are wandering around completely oblivious to the fact.
0: Do you know going going back to um, looking at the birds and scoring the birds and why we found it difficult. Um, the cards actually go in order of difficulty for scoring and they start with star, a, B, C and D. And we were playing the C variation. So the second most difficult variation of birds in the entire game is the one that we decided to throw you in on the first one. So <laughs> that that would be why it was difficult to score the birds. But to be honest, the first variation of the birds or the hawks in the game is just having hawks next to empty spaces. That's it. So it... It really, it is definitely a game that you can make more friendly based on the cards that you pick. I like to be a little bit, you know, live life a little bit dangerously and just randomly pick the cards. But that's when you are, that's I guess what makes this game great is that you can, you can set it based on the play, you know, who's playing the game with you. Do you want to make it an easier game? Do you want to make it a harder game? You know, it's very playable again and again and again. Um, I would say the one thing that I would suggest to make the game more friendly for people who are neurodiverse is for a start plan on there being a little bit more time that you need because I know for myself, I like to sometimes take a little bit of time to think about it. I've trained myself that with playing games like because I'm you know we keep on coming up on this theme I'm so competitive um I tend to try and not look at what's happening between turns like I'll have a bit of a plan as to what I'm going to do so I'm not leaving people sitting there waiting while I'm planning my turn on my actual turn entirely (laughs) But I don't want to be that person anymore who goes, oh, my God, you took my tile!" So I quite often won't watch what's going on, so I'm not yelling at my fellow players. But definitely give people a little bit more time if they're neurodiverse just to sort of process what's going on. And... I do think that because it doesn't have that limitation that Calico has where it's here is your board and here's how much space you have to play in, it can take a little bit more time to think about well where am I actually going to place this. I think that's that's a double-handed thing, that one. Like it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Because it does give you that flexibility of putting tiles where you want them. But sometimes people who are neurodiverse like having that set play area. So The only other thing I'd say is I think a lot of games are missing a player guide. So just like a little little player card that says here's what you do on your turn. I can kind of see why this one doesn't have it because really it's very limited as to what you can do during the game. But I think if you made a copy of the rules, like an extra copy, print out an extra copy of the rules, there's PDF versions available of the rules everywhere. That's generally going to be a good rule of thumb for most games is just make an extra copy of your rules so that if you've got someone who's neurodivergent and doesn't want to be asking all the time, can I have the rules to have a look at? Um, Maybe make (laughs) an extra copy of, the cards so that you know if you're playing a game, I think this one goes up to four it's four players, yeah. If you happen to be playing on a particularly big table and you might not be able to see the card right in front of you, maybe just having an extra copy of the cards so that somebody can have them sitting next to them might be a good idea. But in general, I think you can get away with not having those things and it's still being a friendly game for people who are neurodiverse.
1: I think certainly so. there's the the cards is actually that's probably the the main reason why there wouldn't be a player rate, because this does look like the kind of game where you'd expect to have a player rate, but actually that is the main thing that you're going to want to be able to see because the main the rules you're looking to follow the things you can see are what are on those cards yeah so it might be a, a, having the means to pass them around um and make, make that a little bit easier because that potentially could have been something where you could could get a, a, a sort of a Another version of those but I think making those really straightforward to see being willing to pass them around the table then the other good thing is is that you don't need to place your tile before somebody else starts turn. you could obviously find yourself still thinking about it if, if you've only got like a two-player game then you might want to move a little bit faster but um, the um, if you're going around you can pick your tiles and somebody else can be picking their tiles and moving on whilst you're doing your exact placement hmm What you're trying to do on your roadmap. So so it's it's good and it flows well like that. Um Janeline, have we uh wrapped up what we need to talk about? sort of for today, because obviously there's a we're, we're back in sort of BunnyCon in theory, because we're, we're recording this before BunnyCon, but the podcast goes out in the middle of BunnyCon, which means that if you're listening to this podcast when it first comes out, we have to dash off and play a game.
0: We do. We do have to dash off and play a game. We have many games we need to play so that we've got plenty of games to talk about for you when it comes to this podcast. You may have noticed as well, we've started saying this podcast is going out monthly, but actually we're going to be reducing that to fortnightly, so... We've had a really, really awesome response to the first few episodes that have gone out. So thank you everyone who's been so supportive. Thank you for all of your amazing feedback. We've really loved reading that from all of you and we would love to hear from you. So we'd love your thoughts and opinions on Kitsy Games. We love your thoughts and opinions on Cascadia. Have you played it? Did you enjoy it? Is it something that you would like to play and you don't have anyone to play it with? Well, we've got plenty of places that you can play it. It comes with meterboard in the west every time. I believe that we don't have a copy in the library, do we, Chris?
1: I don't know, but we'll check. Um, we will know, check because obviously we're at BunnyCon right now when it's going out so I could go and just have a look at the uh, look at the shelf uh, but because that's in the future I'd need to go back but the, um, in advance of BunnyCon because we are of course recording before BunnyCon uh, the crates of games in order to make their way from library storage over to the venue and I'm closest to the venue are going to start their journey into my front room um, <laughs> sort of tomorrow so gradually we're in that process now uh, if you sort of guess when we're recording where areas of my Home get turned into a massive game and shelving storage unit on a temporary <laughs> basis, and uh, as, as it was sort of last year, um, in preparation for the big event. So, uh, so we're all looking forward to that. Um, but you'll yeah, we'll have to check and see if we've got any Cascadia in the library. I don't think we do either, Jen. I think that's a gap, and um, probably a gap that's worth filling
0: absolutely i agree with you on that one well thank you very much for listening today you can find all of our information below in the information part of the podcast we'll have a link to uh, link to our socials so you can find us on facebook you can find us on instagram we have a website um please let us know we love hearing from you if you've got any ideas for things or for games you would like us to cover in the podcast we'd love to know that as well so we hope you have an amazing week playing all your favorite board games and this is uh see you later from jen
1: all right and see you later from chris bye
2: bye